Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. Hey, everybody, it's Chris Yano, your host of To The Point, and my co-host, Mr. Tall Paul Redman. Hey, everybody. What's up, TP? How you doing? Be ready. Good to see you again. So we have a special guest today. And so before I go into this, because I would normally have just said this right out of the gate, but um, before I'm going to go make the introduction first, we have a, uh, what I would consider one of the legends in the HVAC business in the studio today. Uh, he is the CEO of Gettle and, um, and probably, I would say arguably one of the guys who's got the uh, home services trade figured out the best that we've met in our uh, tenure. Pretty impressive. Okay. So everybody, Joe, everyone, we'd like to introduce you to Mr. Ken Goodrich. Ken, how you doing, buddy? (laughs) So Ken, I got to ask you a quick question before we get into it. So we always give Paul a hard time. So Paul, when you walked in, you saw Paul's super tall. Um, He is 6'8", right? 6'8", yeah. But you... But tell me he's not a spitting image for Bob Saget. He's getting pretty close. Can you, <laughs> oh, can you tell the jokes like Bob? <laughs> so, no. So, well, you, I, I tend to lean more. I understand the, the comparison. Thank you very much. But it's more of a, um, a Danny Tanner, I think, reference than a Bob Saget reference. Because Danny Tanner. So, it's, Danny Tanner's the family guy. Bob Saget's the raunchy comedian. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But you look like Bob Saget. Just yeah, for I'm going record. with Saget. Yeah, okay, but act cool. like Danny Tanner. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, okay. Okay. Enough. I'm enough. okay with that. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into it just because Ken has so much good information to share. He has a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's been through it all. Um, he has taken a lot of companies that have been failing and, and turned them around and, uh, and, and really sh- has all the tactics on things on how to get these things done. Um, wrote a book, actually a book that I read when I was first starting this company back in 2007 called The E-Myth. He actually says a lot because he does, he's not a big reader. I'm not a big reader. Not a, not a big reader. Um, I've become a better reader, but hopefully it's like a 100 to 150 page book. He can read. He just chooses not to sit down. Yeah. And what's interesting is that when I do read, I actually learn stuff. It's weird how that works out. <laughs> So I did read through this book. So it was kind of neat to go back and reread it after being in business for 10 years and then read Ken's version of it now that we've been in the home services industry so long. So um, I appreciate you taking the time to do that to help the trades. That's awesome. It's indicative of the person that I've learned that you are. So I'm going to jump right into it. So we have plenty of time for, uh, for Ken to answer some of these questions. So eager to jump into it. Are you guys ready? Ready. You ready, Ken? I'm ready. Okay. So out of the gate, what I always like to ask really any of our guests that are in these trades is just to give us a, uh, a little background, you know, on your history. And obviously it's a big history, but give us a little background on uh, what your history is and then how you got in the trades. I know how you got in the trades, but I'd like you to share the story for maybe those who don't. Okay. Well, I, I believe I started out like many guys in the HVAC plumbing, uh, electrical service businesses. Uh, I held the flashlight for my dad starting at 10 years old. And I worked every night and weekend and summer as he moonlight started started his own uh, HVAC service company. Um, and then as soon as uh, he made it a full-time venture, uh, every day after school and on the summertime, you know, that was my job. Flashlight, tools, putting up the ladder, those sorts of things. Uh, and over the course of time, I became skilled at the trade. 
Uh, even before I could drive, I could repair or install an air conditioner. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license that same day. My dad gave me three service calls and said, here you go. Fix these units. <laughs> and you were 16 years old? I was 16, yeah. And so I went out and I did the jobs and uh, I kept I kept on rolling like that. Um, went to, you know, got out of high school, still worked with my dad, went to college, uh, studied finance and, and uh, you know, as I was going through the recruiting stages, you know, the, the job fairs uh, at a college, I was getting some offers uh, for my chosen degree, which happened to be, I don't know, a third of what I was making doing air conditioning. <laughs> and I just could just decide I couldn't take the pay cut. So I decided I would stick with the air conditioning business. And then shortly after that, my father unfortunately passed away early. And, uh, and so um, I bought the business, the family business from my mom, which uh, consisted of me that did all the work, my mom who answered the phone and did the books and, uh, at, at, before my dad passed, he did the sales. Got it. And so I bought the business and I started off and I, you know, uh, I, I had what uh, Michael Gerber calls an entrepreneurial seizure. And I was going <laughs> to start out and I was going to be a big business guy. And at the time I had in mind, this is when MTV came out. MTV lifestyle. Right. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I thought my life is going to be like an MTV rap video, right? Girls Yo, by MTV the pool. Raps. The girls by the pool with the big, nice house and all the stuff, right? And so I set out and I went into business. And, you know, of course, the first thing you do when you go into business is, you know, buy a new car. Yeah. And, sure. uh, look, you know, hire look some at people. Me. Hire some people and get some nice duds and, you know, fancy shoes and go have meetings with important people like vendors, like the Lennox guy, for instance, and, you know, become a big shot. And after the course I was in it for a couple of years, you know, I had grown the business rapidly. You know, we kind of, you know, I knew the trade very well and I kind of had a sales side to me. And so we, uh, I was, uh, was quick to get pickup business. Do you mind if you share what you grew to then? Just so I can make a comparison later. So we, you know, we grew from, you know, my dad's business was 200,000 and, you know, we grew to about a million in okay. two years. Great. Good context. Thanks. And this was in the, 80s, late 80s. Got it. And so, you know, I had the business going, and uh, one day I pulled up the office, and this guy pulls up at the same time in kind of a ratty old car, and he gets out, and he, uh, you know, asked where he could find me. I said, well, you got me. And he said, here's my business card. And he said, uh, internal revenue service. Oh, man. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, son, you haven't been paying your payroll taxes. It was $76,000. I said, what's payroll taxes? <laughs> and so uh, he quickly payroll. showed me what payroll taxes were. Oh, yeah. By showing up with guns and badges and such yeah. and tow trucks and tow trucks off and garnished bank accounts. And, and you're 27 years old at this time? Uh-huh. Okay. Wow. Okay. Family at this time yet or? No, no, okay. not yet. Fortunately. So you get a little margin when you don't have to go home and explain that to somebody. I know? do. I, I, I'll tell you, if I, if I, I think I, the, I think the experience that I went through and I'll share some more of it, but the experience I went through, uh, you know, made me a much better business person and a stronger person. 
Uh, I'm not sure I could have got it done if I had a family at the time, just yeah. just because you got other obligations and you'd take less risks. Yep. And you can't work 20 hours a day. <laughs> so anyway, he, he came in, he said that, he towed off my trucks, he took my bank accounts, uh, and and everybody quit in the business. My technicians who had worked for me for the, the years, uh, they came in and said, uh, if, you know, we need our checks or we're leaving. And I'm like, guys, it's Friday. Just let's finish the jobs this weekend, and I can pay you on Monday. Nope. We want our checks now. And so they left, except I had two guys stay. And this is not a joke. I had two guys stay. One was Vince, and he was a Vietnam vet. And, uh, you know, he had a condition that he called shell-shocked. I think it's equivalent to PTSD PTSD, now. And he, um, so he had to shoot his medicine up in his arm while he was doing service calls, and there was syringes all over his truck, which was a little sketchy. Sure. And then uh, I had another guy that um, I had hired who was a midget because when I'm 27, I thought it was fun to have a midget tech <laughs> in the HVAC space. MTV right? lifestyle. Yeah, it is <laughs> unbelievable. And, and I feel like sometimes I have my own personal midgets. Just it's because you're six foot eight. People, but yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. So I had, uh, I had $3,000 cash stuffed away somewhere and, you know, no vendor would sell to me because my, my checks had bounced sure. everywhere. And so I would go in them, and I'd go sell a job, and I'd pay for cash, pay for the job cash, and then Vince and the little guy would go put it in. So this was mm-hmm. a season. This wasn't just like a week. Like, how long did this last? So I, it took me two years to pay off the IRS, and my yeah. $76,000 bill came to over a quarter million with penalties, interest, and oh all goodness. the other stuff late they pay- take oh, and yeah. late stuff. And <clears throat> so it took a couple years to gut it out, and uh, maybe even three. So if you don't mind me asking, back to that moment when the IRS shows up and you realize the gravity of the situation you're in, and then your guys are leaving, and then you spend the next couple years kind of working off cash. Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember what it felt like? Like, describe that if you can. Well, it was gut wrenching, yeah. and um, but I was determined. You know, I wasn't going to let me, let it beat me. One because I think that's kind of who I am, and that's how my father raised me. But on the other hand, I just couldn't bear go to my mom and said, "Say, hey, mom, in two years, I killed the twenty five year business that we had." Right, sure. and I just I couldn't, I, I couldn't quit. Yep. Right, so I had to I had to go through the fire and come out a better man. Not an option. Yeah. Quitting was not an option. When you look back on your career, I mean, obviously your circumstances are way different right now. Um, would you say that was the most formative time, those few years? I think that was a big one. I mean, obviously I've had my knocks, yeah, knocks over the years, but uh, that certainly was a big one. As a matter of fact, you know, here we are in this generation. You know, we don't. Our kids don't weren't raised like we were raised. Yeah. You guys probably weren't raised how I was raised, but <laughs> uh, you know, it was terrible at the time. But I'm sure that adversity had a lot to do with who I am today, for sure. And so I, I, I challenge everyone to, you know, maybe not go as drastic as I <laughs> did, but put yourself <laughs> in some challenging positions and work out of them, yeah. which just makes you a better, stronger person. So anyway, during this course of the time, um, 
you know, when the IRS came and they pulled the tow trucks, the tow trucks with the vans, all the stuff happened. You know, it was Friday evening by the time it all ended. I went up to my office and uh, sat in my fancy executive chair. <laughs> and I saw this book, the E-Myth, that was on my desk that a friend of mine had given to me a couple weeks before. And so I looked at it and said, why, why most small businesses don't work and what to do about it? So I thought, uh, well, how serendipitous is this? So I <laughs> take the book up, and I open the book, and I start looking at it. And, I, and as I read through it, I'm starting to think, how does this Gerber guy know me? Like, he... He knows me, and he knows my dumb mistakes and how I think about things. Like he, he had to have been following me to write this book. Anyway, I stayed at the shop all night, and I read the entire book, and I kind of got inspired Front to back. by it. Front to back, Front that to back, night? yeah. Wow. And I'm not a good reader either. <laughs> so anyway, I, I read it, and then the next day, came back in, read it again, and I continued to read it and highlight it, and I've read it over 39 times. But I kept that book with me in my back pocket for, I don't know, the, the whole three years or so it took me to clean up the mess. Uh, and every time that I'd get in a tough spot or wasn't ha uh, right, heading the right direction, I would pull it out and I would, um, you know, get back on track. And essentially what it says is, the key points are, I knew HVAC. I didn't know how to run a business. And there are two distinctly different things. And that's not how most people start. Most people start as a technician, and they know the technical work of their jobs, but they don't know how to monetize that properly and, and create a, you know, an organization that delivers their standard and quality of service uh, to customers to the extent the customers want to pay a profitable price and come back for more. Right. right. Wouldn't you say that's probably 90% of people that start a trade company is there a technician that just left to go on their I own? I think that's a, a big part of yeah. it. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys that came from the wholesale business or the manufacturer business all kind of give it a try. We all kind of start off the stupid, same stupid way. <laughs> yeah. So, I got the book. I started executing the book. And, and basically, the, set, the essence of the book is a business is a set of systems. Like, there, there's a book, or there's a movie out called The Founder, and it's uh, Ray Kroc, right? And talks about Ray Kroc and his evolution with McDonald's. But the most important part of that movie, and if you haven't seen it and you own a business, you have to see it, right? The most important part of that movie is... The um, McDonald brothers went to the high school uh, tennis court, and they took chalk, and they drew the outline to scale of their building that they had to build the first McDonald's, right? And then they drew, okay, the fryer should go here, the Coke machine should go over here, the, the grill should go over here. They drew it all on the floor, and then they had – what they deemed their appropriate staff, six or eight people, and they started pretending they were buying hamburgers, and they watched everybody move and bumping each in, into each other, and they just figured out the flow, and they would erase the chalk and say, Fryer can't go here, Fryer's got to go here. That's awesome. Yeah, and they completely figured the business out before they started. Brilliant. Yeah. And so here I was, though, you know, 
I didn't do that before. I didn't have I didn't have the knowledge to do it before, uh, and so I was doing as I went. And and you know one thing about discipline is you don't have to all of a sudden be the most disciplined guy. To, I mean, to, you just have, you don't have to do it all at once, right? Discipline is not. I'm getting up at five o'clock every morning and going to the gym, and I haven't been to the gym in five years, right? Discipline starts with, let's just do one little discipline thing, right? So what I did was I said, okay, I don't like to get I don't like to get at the office too early because I like my people to go in and the manager to go and get all the stuff out of the way because I find myself meddling. So I put a checklist. Here's how you open the building. Here's how you close the building. Here's the first four things that have to happen every day before I get there, right? Here's the checklist, and we start there, and we exercise the checklist. And then we quantify the checklist. How many days did we do it properly? How many days did we didn't? And so that began, began the muscle memory of how to build a systematic business. And I started with how to open the front door, what time in the morning so anyway i took that system and i started to thrive and i was uh, I'm, I'm born and raised in las vegas based in las vegas and i and i got through the, the the challenges and the hell of it all gutted it out got my relationships built back with my vendors started to hire some people you know started to be able to advertise a little and you know in a, in a few years became the the dominant HVAC, uh, residential HVAC service replacement contractor in Las Vegas. In the meantime, though, kind of became a turnaround expert in the field, mainly because I had screwed up my own business so bad and figured it out. So you I went just through knew, it. I just knew what to do. Right. So I started buying retiring or failing companies. So one one guy was retiring, older guy, and he, you know he the business had declined. I came in, I put my systems in place. Here's how you open the door in the morning, and here's how we answer the phone. Here's how we sell a job. Here's our checklist to install everything, and we got him going thriving. The next one was a guy who actually went into Chapter Eleven, oh, no. and uh, I petitioned. I, I I got my lawyer and said, "Hey, I'd like to have that company." He said, "That's called a white knight." I'll put you in as the white knight. I went to the bankruptcy court. I mean, I'm, I'm not even 30 yet. I go to the bankruptcy court and tell the judge my story and why he should give me this business on the benefit, to the benefit of the creditors. Wow. And I submitted a plan, said, okay, here's the credit. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but here's the creditors owe this much money. They're going to get nothing if... It goes to chapter seven. With me, it'll get this, and so who you know, some money's better than none. Sure. Right. So they agreed to it. So I took that business over. So is that a common practice, or were the creditors like, "Wow, this is great. This is a great idea." Yeah, I don't think it's very often. Maybe yeah. in some bigger deals, but certainly not in our scale. It's it doesn't happen. They just they usually just go away. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is um, it really knocked out my second question because it was talking about one of the biggest adversities and how you overcome it. Um, that certainly was one. And like you said, but what's interesting about how that played out was think about how that helped you in all those transactions, because how genuine was it when you went in there having just been through it to not just go in there and like sell it 
and plead the case to get you know, to get the business or to, to not write that off and to give it to you. But you probably, because when you went in there and spoke about it, you just went through it. So all that emotion was raw. I mean, if you were just under 30, this was only, what, a few years. So you went in there, and I, when you asked that question, I was like, surely that doesn't happen very often, that people don't go that far. You take that much effort, which is what makes, I think, certain business owners stand out. You took the time to go in there and do that to save that business, but you went in with your real story, which was your story, and you overcome that adversity to pitch it and get that business back, which you've probably now done multiple times, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, which is the key to all sales, your right. real story, right? Yep. Yep. But anyway, to, to that point, I when I went in, I told the story. The judges look at me kind of in one eye like, who is this kid, <laughs> right? I mean, I had a tech uniform on doing it, and uh, <laughs> he said – you know, he approved it, and he he hit the gavel, and he said, "Go get him, Tiger!" Wow, love it. Do you know Do you know who that guy was? Do you remember him at all? I don't. Okay. The judge or the business? The, the judge. Yeah. I mean, the business. I'm sure you probably remember, but the judge. I was just curious. Free maintenance plan. Because the fact that you remembered, he said, "Go get him, Tiger." Obviously, stuck with you. Yeah, I was curious. I would have White Knight Home Services with "Go get him, Tiger." <laughs> on the side Go of the get truck. him, Tiger. Well. Can be misconstrued by <laughs> night. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, good call. Depends on where you're at, I guess. But yeah, True. that's a good point. We can edit that, right, Kyle? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm naive. Okay. Uh, question. When you, I, I've read in some other conversations you've had with other folks that when you go into a business, you're buying a business or you're, you're in this white night situation, the first thing you do is evaluate the leadership. Like, what are things that you either observe, like with frequency, like it pops up? Or things you're looking for in leaders to, to give you a gauge of whether or not they can they can run this business. Like what are you looking for in leaders? So let me start out by saying in all the businesses I bought, and I'm not sure how many anymore, over a hundred, but uh, I haven't been a, I haven't retained many people in, the, in that process. I always try across the board with with this, all the staff. Yeah, yeah. I've always try. But, you know, the things that are very difficult to do and that I never really put the resources towards is, you know, understanding the fear of change, right? And so just, it's just even recently we started to really get our minds around it as an organization, the fear of change and what people go through. And so I never had any really luck pulling these people together because they were all stuck in the fear of change. And my mentality was, this is, I'm so much better. This is so much better. This business is failing. I'm going to make it win. We're all going to win. We're going to have a better life, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, you know, it takes a while for people to buy in. Rally the and I yep. never was, uh, you know, I just was impatient and I like, I knew exactly what we we're going to do. And so why wouldn't they buy in? Right. Right. Now that said, I picked up a few good leaders over the course of time. Now, um, as a matter of fact, one of my latest acquisition I did about three years ago. Uh, you know, I pulled off two key guys, which is really solid guys. They were just young guys looking for some, they were just looking for leadership for themselves and an opportunity to, and a place where they could, you know, take off the shackles and run the shackles that they put on themselves by not knowing how to run a business. Sure. Right? These are general yeah. managers, service managers. What was their role? Um, so one was a sales manager. Yeah. You know, we call it general sales manager because they're, you know, these businesses don't work without a big sales driver, right? right. Uh, and then the other guy kind of took over our uh, IT 
kind of stuff. But he was an HVAC guy that also did a IT, so it really made it a nice seamless property. Yeah. They're still with me today. Great. So anyway, what do I look for? You know, I, I you know I look for energy. I look for um, people willing to change. I mean, we we run a very based on Gerber's teaching. You know, it's count everything. We run an extremely metrics-driven business, and we count everything. Yeah. Every single position in the company, uh, their position agreement clearly says, this is how you will be measured here. Mm-hmm. And we measure everybody. Yep. So people coming from a failing environment or a slow environment, you know, they're not used to that level of accountability. They don't stick. Yeah. Even the technicians, uh, you know, we're counting technicians every every vital on a technician and you know some guys just aren't used to it and it doesn't doesn't stick that said the guys who embrace it always do significantly better under our system and you've got 22 metrics that you measure daily that's your is that number yes. right uh-huh. and that's kind of the heartbeat of the business um, any of those in particular stand out? Like if you only had enough time to view four metrics every morning, which would you look at? So uh, this is an uninventful metric, but it's one of my key metrics called a DFO or an MFO. And and uh, DFO is diagnostic fee only. So, mm-hmm. you know, you call, customer calls us out, uh, their air conditioner is broken. And how many times do we walk away with just the fee, the minimum fee, which is either zero or 50 bucks or $49, whatever the case is, whatever your service call fee is, weekends, 129. Sure. So what's the percentage of time? So you know that if that becomes a high percentage, you know the guy's either his head's not in the game because he's not communicating well, connecting or relating to the customer well, uh, not following our process, or he's stealing. He's doing side work. Got it. So Got it. you start looking at that metric and watch the individuals, and they start going up. Um, you know, you just put your, keep your eyes on them and see what's going on, and bring them back to the office and start to counsel them. Right. Also, you see when you have technicians that generate leads for replacement sales, if their DFO continues to rise, then you know they're swinging for the fence. They're swing. They're pushing too hard with customers, and that's and it's something that's very very important today. And that's about that's a. And that's a real balance, too, because you want them to be aggressive. You want them to, to push, but in the right ways. Right, right, right. Based on the right values. I want to, If I can, I'm going to pull us back for just a second because you were going down a path I'd like to go further down. And what I think is really helpful is to be able to give things like this that, that someone can take away and implement now that doesn't cost anything, that doesn't actually have a physical, like a hard cost to it. But one thing that I watched on, on um, when I was – prepping for this interview was you talk about the screws. So, which to me um, shows me the level of integrity that you guys hold as a business. And, and what, where you were going down is this path. I love uh, culture here to me is everything. Everybody has to buy into this culture. I don't care if you're the best employee in the company. If, if you're toxic, you're gone. We're all about the, what are we doing best for the customer today and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's my job to do what's best for employees, give them education bonuses, make them feel good, do whatever I can to help them want to serve my customers better. But we do it with integrity. We do it with transparency, you know, all of our core values. You, you have a lot of those same similarities you're talking about, but you know, I've got 
you know, we're upwards of 90 people. You have how many people on staff today approximately? Well, as of today, 611. So you have this army that you need to also march down that same culture path. So I want to bring this thing back to the screws and you tell that screw story because that one little, have you heard this? No. Yeah. So that one little itty bitty thing I thought was so awesome because it made you unique from the beginning. And so if you would tell us about the screws, that'd be awesome. Cause you know about the flashlight you held, you know, held your dad's flashlight and that was like, and you were 10. Right. And that's like the iconic thing. I think forget it was a flashlight, but let's talk about the screws. Okay. So I'm going to go a long, long way to get here. Okay. 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 Cause I need, you need to know the backstory. Mm-hmm. So when I bought Gettle Air Conditioning was um, January of 2013. And Gettle was out of favor. I mean, Gettle, uh, you know, had some challenges, uh, reputation challenges. It was doing about $11 million in sales, losing $3 million or 250000 a month. Most people didn't want to touch or try to catch that falling knife. But the reason why I bought it was... Um, First air conditioner I ever lit up a lit up with my flashlight was a Gettle. Got it. And my dad was a Gettle dealer, yeah. and my and the first one I ever repaired was a Gettle. First one I ever installed was a Gettle. First one I ever sold was a Gettle. As a matter of fact, Gettle, when my dad passed away, was the only company that would give me credit to start <laughs> in business, yeah. right? And so, and then I was a Gettle dealer up until they start uh, stop building the Gettle actual air conditioners in two thousand seven. Who made the unit? Gettle did. Oh they were there? Yeah. So the Gettle time. brothers came in came here in nineteen thirty nine in Phoenix and invented the evaporative cooler. Got it. The evap cooler. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they actually took the evap cooler to, uh, from evolved to that to the refrigerated air conditioner, which Lewis Carrier invented, but it was for commercial applications, bigger buildings. And they in they created the first residential air conditioner. As a matter of fact, the Discovery Channel has a nice story on Gettle Air Conditioner in Phoenix, Arizona, and they attribute Gettle as the key catalyst for Phoenix being the Phoenix, right? Because yeah. you can live here. You can live here, yeah. Fascinating. Love it. I so anyway, Dave Lennox did all of that. I'm so <laughs> brainwashed. <laughs> so then... Uh, so Gettle was just part of my whole history, you know, and I, it's so cool. And so I, uh, you know, I'd built a number of companies and sold them already. And I was kind of, you know, thinking about taking it easy and the Gettle opportunity came up and I felt like, you know what, this is my destiny. Like I have to do this, right? This is, this is what I've been working for my entire career. Uh, I got to go save Gettle. And so throughout the process, I, you know, I certainly dealt with companies that had bad cultures, bad numbers, uh, you know, bad sales process, all the stuff, the business stuff, but I'd never really dealt with one that had such a big reputation and a negative side to it too. And so I found this um, copywriter, marketing genius, named Roy Williams, the wizard of ads. And, uh, you know, we started working together. And so the flashlight is symbolic of where I came from and, and, the, and the, 
you know, the teachings that my dad gave me, father and son, what he taught me, the ethics he gave me, you know, all the foundational stuff. And that's what the flashlight meant. And so I've had, I don't know, I had a, I had a manufacturer build us the old Rayovac tin flashlights, right? Wow. And now we, we upgraded them with LED bulbs, but they looked like the old old time ones. That's awesome. I did uh, not know that. We have Rayovac <laughs> cool. batteries in them. <laughs> and so we, we give them out to homeowners or customers or anybody who wants one. We just say, if you see a ghetto guy, go ask for a flashlight. That's so we've cool. given o- over a million flashlights. <laughs> what? I had no idea that a was A million flashlights? That's unbelievable. So does so it so, looks like the the old the silver handle one silver the, little rib yeah yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> that's so and cool. has the red button to flash yeah, that's, yeah. So cool. that's what exactly what it looks and like I should have brought some for you dang it so authentic love it so so we started that process and here's what I think saw is you know the customers were so excited when the Gettle Techs would show up because they knew they were getting that flashlight right that's great and it built this instant rapport between the technician and the homeowner. And usually it's not that way. It's, it starts out a little contemptuous, right? A little wall there. Yeah. Build tra- oh. but, they, but they were happy to see the ghetto guy, right? So what I would do is um, I'd sit, you know, at, at nighttime, I'd be kind of watching some TV on my laptop, working a little bit, and I'd come up with something that I would send to Roy. And I would say, here's some experiences that I've had in the industry and I'm, you know, I'm ground level, right, that many customers can relate to, right? So one day I said, hey, Roy, when I was a kid, my first job was to, after my dad got finished working on the air conditioner, it was, replaced, it was to replace all the uh, holes in the air conditioner with a new screw. So we replaced all the screws that the last guy left out. Because my dad taught me that an air conditioner, it, it, it vibrates, and electrical connections short out with vibrations. They don't last as long, cause a lot of trouble. So I was to tighten the unit down before we left, right? And so he wrote the ad about that. And so what I did was I had some screws manufactured specially for us. They're red. They're a little thicker gauge, bigger, uh, bigger grips, and with a nice G in the middle. <laughs> and so everybody, you know, everybody in the business has their screws and, you know, they're required to put at least one screw in. Now, so people call now and they say, I'm, you know, do I get the flashlight and do I get the red screws? That's awesome. Right. And then as we evolve <laughs> along, I say, and this is all true here. The, uh, I said, hey, Roy, my dog, Sadie is a Wheaton Terrier. And Wheaton Terriers, if they like you, give you a Wheaton greeting. If they don't <laughs> like you, they hide. And so what I started doing was I started bringing my employees new either perspective or um, perspective or uh, new hires over to my house to do some work, meet Sadie. And if she didn't give him the wheat and greet, and I'm, I knew we better keep our eyes on him, right? <laughs> on. As a matter of fact, there's probably some people going to listen to this that came to my house before I hired him, which they thought was odd anyway. But now they know why. They're like, now they know. you had a dog? You're like, damn, the wheat and greet? That's what that was? Yeah. You got a dog? So anyway, I, so, uh, and then we started bringing Sadie in to the offices and seeing everybody. And it, it's uncanny. 100% of the time, 
Now you got to understand, I've had thousands of people work for me over the last 30 years. So I got a good, good idea, the good eggs and the bad eggs, right? But every time I thought was a, somebody was a little iffy, Sadie automatically didn't like them. Wow. So anyway, we started bringing Sadie to our job fairs, you know, mass hirings, and just kind of help weed out the process. But it was more for our culture thing, right? So we started advertising that Sadie checks all our employees. And, and everybody who has a dog kind of knows they have that sixth sense, yeah. right? And so we have a few more things like that. But the point is the flashlight came from the teachings of my dad, the screws, the, the teaching of my dad. The Sadie situation is, is a personal experience of mine. And so, you know, we, we've introduced these things in our brand pillars. We make them a key part of our business, and we talk about them at least every week with all the technicians, salespeople, call center people, everybody in the, the branches. And it starts to bring a culture. This is what we're about. And the interesting thing is, is we've created something that I have not experienced in any other company, any of the other companies I've had, which is the customers know us. First time customers. Ken used to hold the flashlight for his dad. They put in the red screws. His dog's name's Sadie. Uh, I had a, I had a, I happened to meet my wife 30 years ago, 28 years ago. I'm never going to get this. I'm going to never get in trouble out of here. Uh, but uh, 28 years ago, she was the credit manager at an air conditioning supply house. And I happened to be a credit criminal at the time. So I had to spend a lot of time with her. Worked out. Uh, right. And so, although, like I, I did a Valentine's Day ad about that experience with her. So, every, like, our, our technicians go to homes and, like, oh, I know Ken really well because yeah. here's all – Here's all his stuff, right? Is that what is that? I answer, yeah, answer your yeah, question? Actually, Absolutely. No, you yeah. actually nailed it. And and what's interesting about the flow of this conversation is how closely it's flowing to my the way I had the questions laid out. Um, and you talking about um, Roy for Wizard of Ads is a great segue because you talking about the screws. The purpose of the screw is you don't left you know anything untightened. You don't you finish it. I think you even make the threads a little bit tighter so they're nice and tight. Yeah. Um, the flashlight is also a representation of this was you holding it for your dad. And this is kind of how you got into it. Sadie being a part of like the hiring process, all these things that are just something you've done and that are personal to you and that are all part of the DNA of Gettle is also interesting how you've now parlayed that into using those real experiences to help you market the business and build your brand. So um, one thing that I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask is, you know, we're a, we are a, a digital marketing firm for home services. That's it. That's it. It's all we do. Nothing else. So, so I think a good segue is based on those things is those are certainly, um, like you're saying, somebody walks in and they're excited to get a ghetto flashlight. That's great. Um, it's part of the, it's part of the brand. So for anybody that's listening, marketing is always like a, uh, um, I think you probably have a lot of copycats, people that are going to try and, you know, do exactly what you do, which is why they come and see your stuff. And that's okay. And that's probably somewhat flattering to you, but they may not be able to do, to do those things exactly today, all those things. So if you can give some good advice um, on, in regards to, to um, marketing, what do you think is the, is the best? And you can give me a couple options, whichever one works for you. What's the best option for somebody who just says, 
can. I need new customers, man. Like I'm customer servicing the heck out of these guys. I'm getting my LSA. I'm getting or getting my service agreements. What do you think is the best marketing that some of these guys can do for new customers today? SmartAC.com. SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Okay, so, uh, you know, I've built my whole career off of buying distressed, distressed companies, taking their databases and making them my customers, uh, buying phone numbers of defunct companies. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story how I got there. You know, back in the late 80s, again, one of my key competitors passed away. And he had a residential company called Day and Night. And, and uh, he was kind of an iconic company at that time, or bigger, you know. Where was that at? In Las Vegas. In Vegas, okay. Yeah. And so he had passed away. And so one day I had this brainstorm, like, I should see if I could get his phone number. So I go to the phone company, I stand in line, and I, and I get up to the clerk and say, hey, I'd like to have this phone number. And they said, oh, you can't have it. Well, I said, why? But they said, I said, the guy died. They said, well, it's our policy. We, got it. we have to leave it uh, available for the old owner for a year. It, so if he wants to catch up the bill, he can have it back. It's a law. And I go, well, I assure you, he's not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> right. And and, uh, and uh, she said, I'm sorry, sir. Like, there's nothing I can do about it. I said, can I see your supervisor? Supervisor came out and said, can I see your supervisor? <laughs> Finally, that supervisor said, if you can prove to us that he passed away, we'll let you have it. Wow. So I said, okay. So I leave. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do that, <laughs> right? How am I going to find out? And I don't know how I came about it, but I guess, you know, you, you go to the health department and you get a copy of his death certificate, right? <laughs> Jeez. And so, I, you know, I mean, this I looked great. at it and he passed away of renal, fa renal failure. I had to get a dictionary. <laughs> they had dictionaries back then yeah, yeah. Uh, to see what that was. But anyway, uh, I went back and I gave him the death certificate. And, wow. You know, the supervisor got a little flustered, kind of pissed off and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> She came back. She said, it's transferred. She transferred it to my main number in my office, right? Right then? Yep. Done. Seven bucks. Do so, you consider that an acquisition? I do. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I drive back to the office. I, it's, I don't know, 14 minutes. I drive back. I walk into the walk into the door. No one's answering the phone. You know, I get a little agitated. I pick up the phone. I answer. They said, is this day and night air? I said, oh, no, uh Chuck had passed away, uh, but I'm taking over his business now. Is how can I help you? He said, "Oh, well, he gave us a bid for six thousand dollars for a new system. Are, we, are you still honoring it?" I said, "Well, what is it?" He tells me, "I go, absolutely, I'm honoring it. Uh, <laughs> can you come so sign up now? Yep, I'll be right there." So good, unbelievable. And so, so I kind of learned. All right, I mean, 
And here's the here's the essence of those customers when you buy these databases is they're calling you for a need, right? They're not shopping, right? They're, they, this is the guy I use. I'm calling them. I know what I want, right? Yep. Uh, and then so you, you need to understand that what you're buying on these things is you're buying the relationship mm-hmm. between that brand name and that customer, right? And so you got to honor that relationship and you got to understand how to interlope, if you will, into that relationship and take over his place. And so we have various techniques we've used, and I can discuss them if you want, but how to get the database, inform people what we're doing, who we are, and, and, and try to grab as many as we can. But my experience tells me that if you can get half of those customers to, to use you because people fear change, yep. you're doing well. Right. Yeah, but anyway, those are the best customers. So I would say there has to do... You know, you, that's one of the key things is to be going out looking for. Well, at one point, I had a disabled woman who would dial the phone book every month, <laughs> and she would find the the disconnected phone numbers. She would call the phone company. She got friends with all the supervisors and stuff. They might let them have her, have them early, and I'd give her a thousand bucks a number. Love it. You know what this reminds Amazing. me of, like. Fast forward to today is when when you're talking about you bought it for seven bucks for that line, yeah. um, it had an immediate return. Domain names, absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of like that with domain names now. I mean, that's something that we've done is sure. we'll have we would build some really big programs for some of the different manufacturers, and when they would let them go, we would keep them and then build off of those to help with lead generation. So that we've got we've, we've got a sweet little bucket of those that we've built sites off of. That so it's a similar situation. It is. We've do we do some of that as well. But, you know, anytime my guys come across an old sticker of an air conditioner, you know, we give them 500 bucks reward. They call the phone number. It's disconnected. They send us the number. We go, we go smoke it out. I mean, I think right now we probably have, I don't know, 400 plus unique (laughs) phone numbers coming into our call centers of various business. So that's, that's one, right? Sure. I've, I've, I've always had a little knack for marketing and sales. So, you know. We've done just about every medium, uh, and and as I've evolved and learned it, you know, learned it more. I mean, we used to be diligently focused direct marketers, right? Yeah. Direct mail, canvassers, telemarketing, right? And uh, we still do a lot of that today, but uh, um, but now we've evolved and learned to understand this brand thing. You know, when I first got started, I'm like, ah, I don't waste your money on brand. It's useless. You know, you can't track it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Well, you take a brand like Gettle that certainly in Phoenix, Arizona is a, like Coca-Cola, right? Right. And then you start putting a good story behind it. Uh, it it's just uh, nitro and glycerin, right? It just blew up. Yep. And we, we had the skills and the system strategy to execute. That's another thing people aren't realize. We you can buy all the calls you want, but if you can't run them and you can't do a good job for the customers to keep the customers, you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah, and right? you're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. And now you've got negative reviews coming through that are far more prevalent because you can go on and make posts on five, 15 different platforms about how bad of a job somebody's done because they didn't respond to you. But if I just to answer your original question, if if uh, you know. Three to five million dollar guy. It doesn't matter what size, but a guy starting out wants to get some more calls. 
you know, you just, you got to go comb every resource, telephone book, uh, you know, all the sites on the, the internet that we can get people's phone numbers, uh, re- registrar contractors, lists, you know, buy lists, and you just got to comb through them, and, and they pop up That's all good. the time. You know, some of the best lists I bought is new construction companies that went under. Yeah. And and sometimes, like, in one particular instance, a guy was about to go under a big new construction company in Southern California. I went to visit him. I said, he had probably 10,000 square foot of records. Here's the houses I did. Here's what's in them. Here's the model serial Easily. numbers. Here's all the details of the system. And I settled on $115,000 for all his records and his phone number. And so I, I used his warehouse for a couple of weeks. I hired some temps, gave him some desks. They took every record. They created a database out of it because it wasn't in a database, which included this is the unit that was installed. This was the condenser pad that's in it. This is the thermostat model okay. number. And we started doing... Uh, direct mail or email blast your air conditioner model number 38 B 64 serial number. This has a, you know, and you tell some details about it and the uh, response rates tripled. Unreal. (laughs) How many times have you come across a multi-million dollar new construction company that's thinking about reducing their new construction and increasing their service yet can never figure out how to do it? hundred percent of the time. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. So you were doing a lot of out-of-the-box thinking super early. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm aware, I mean, I was born in 79, but um, but I understand some of the history from other customers too. And it seems like um, the I, as soon as you start talking about buying those and creating the database, I knew where you were going with it because then it makes it much easier to connect with the homeowner because you're talking about their you're talking about their units specifically, their model number specifically, so that connection is there, which brings the wall down and allows you to kind of get in there because you're talking about their stuff. Yeah, so, so you know, they call in. The first Brilliant. time they call in, our uh, CSR says, oh, you have, you're, you know, you still have the carrier model 38B036. So, oh, it's a carrier. You know, it yeah. just it's just another way. I mean, you, you know how... You, what is uh, how to win friends and influence people say? You know, how do you form a relationship with somebody? Family, occupation, recreation, or material possessions. You, you connect with one of those four things. Yeah. So anyway, that's, yeah, we've always been a little out of out of the box like that. And, uh, you know, just just pure grit entrepreneurial stuff. And that's really it. Like you didn't hire a data scientist to understand the demographics and buying patterns of a subset. No, you hired people to write down information into a database. Like that's half of what we do. Everyone else can do too. Yeah. I think you just got to be, you have to be open, right? You you just, you got to be open to try new things. So I I never thought much of telemarketing, but um, one day, I don't like telemarketers. One day a lady calls me up and wants to know if I want to resurface my cabinets. This is, you know, I don't know, 25 years ago. But So my my fun, odd joke is to I talk to them for a while and then try to get them to quit where they work and come work for me. 
And so this one woman, she happened, she took me up on the offer, right? <laughs> she called me a week later. Okay, I'm coming. I said, okay. But she was pretty good on the phone. And I said, all right, your job is see all these open holes on the schedule, fill them up every day, and then you go home, right? So I want 100% booking rate or 100% schedule every day. And you know what? She did it. Every (laughs) single day, she'd come in, she'd fill up the schedule and leave. And, you know, she did it for years. And then, you know, now we've obviously evolved that uh, process. We buy the databases, they call the customers, they sell them maintenance plans, you know, all the stuff we do. But, uh, you know, that's how the it's how all the innovations in my career anyway have begun from usually from adversity and being open and willing to try new things. Right. So um, I like to, first off, all these things are brilliant. It's, it always gets my brain spinning when people talk marketing because it's something I'm certainly passionate about. But anytime we're talking outside the box, I love it because I'm also that guy. Um, I'm a big visionary. I think, what can I do? And then I don't just sit here and think about it. I do it. I at least try. So when you walk into our office, you see a bunch of different motivational things around here. And that's to remind people that it's okay to try something new and it fail. I'd rather you try something and it fail than not try anything new at all. But you, we just, ironically, we just got in a, uh, I ordered a bunch of, um, we have our big annual kickoff meeting this week with so all, of, all the staff is in town. And so I had just bought a new canvas to hang up in here. And the canvas says, nothing changes if nothing changes. So... Remember Kyle, who's uh, who produces the the podcast for us, was just saying, "What does that even mean? Nothing changes. If nothing changes." I'm like, "Dude, nothing changes if nothing changes. Like you, it's like that. What's the definition of insanity? You have to keep on doing what you've always been doing. You keep on getting what you've always been getting. That type of thing. You got to do something different. You got to do something to set yourself apart because somebody else is going to do it if you don't." Yeah. So you gotta, you have to be that. You have to be okay with it not working and moving on. You just, and, and then if it if it starts to work and it starts to fail, don't just give up on it. Make tweaks and then come at it. You know, you know, one of the things I did early on in business, and I was when I was struggling. You know, I'm always trying to be self aware, and so one day I got a little mirror and I put it up, glued it to my office wall, my personal office wall. And every day before I left, it was right out, right before you leave the door, right? And I had look in it and I asked myself, did you accomplish anything today? Because you can go into a business and it can be, it can be akin to uh, the game show where you go into the plexiglass tube and then the fan turns on, all the money, money flies around, around it and yep. you're trying to catch it. Yep. You never catch any, <laughs> right? It can be that. Or, you know, what I was trying to, to uh, discipline myself to do was I didn't feel like I accomplished anything until I either built a business system and or implemented a business system inside the business to take me to the next level and set me free, you know, just from the chaos of day-to-day doing it, doing it, doing it. And so I would just ask myself that every day. And I tried to keep score and, you know, certainly get more accomplishment days than non-accomplishment you never get a hundred percent. Sure. But all it cost you was the cost of a mirror. Yeah. You know, and a little bit of account extra accountability. And that goes a long way when you have to look in a mirror and say, was today a good day? Was it not? You don't got to do, you don't have to have big wins every day. Just keep chipping away, chipping away. That's something that we've, you know, that we've talked about here plenty is it's not got to be something big all the time. It's just the, all the little things add up. 
But what you don't want to do is have a go backwards, yeah. right? Like it's okay. Even if you try and fail, doesn't mean you went backwards. It means you just learned and now you can continue to move forward on something different. And generally what we've observed is 99% of the things that can impact you positively and negatively, of course, are within your behavior. Like they're there. You can do it. You can control it. It's not external. Yeah. Like I tell my guys, like, you know, we're at the stage, my manager, I talk about who my branch managers say, guys, we want for nothing. We want for nothing. We got a powerful brand. We got phone calls coming in every day. We got all the latest tools and equipment. We have access to the finest people in the industry. We have the best. We buy better than anybody else. We sell better than anybody else. You want for nothing. When I was coming up in the business, you're like, if I could just, if I could just get that box truck, I could you know, improve my installs faster and you know, all this stuff. This we're at this point, you know, there's no excuses now. If I have taken every excuse, you know, out of the playbook for them, <laughs> like, yeah, just do it now, right? Every single day is game day. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so of your system that you apply, you talked about the system, the processes that you um, insert into a business. Would you say it's 50% operations, 50% kind of sales and revenue stuff, or is it more weighted towards operations and like fixing the hole in the bucket first? Like, what's that look like? So for any business, there's seven centers of management attention that Michael Gerber describes that I was subscribed to, but the, there's three that are essential. There are three of the, the, the beginning three of the business, right? It's lead generation. You got to understand how to generate a lead, right? There's lead conversion. You got to convert the lead to a sale and there's client fulfillment. And client fulfillment means you got to get the work done that, that uh, you know, at least to what the customer was promised. Yeah. Hopefully better, right? Mm -hmm. And so lead generation, lead conversion, client fulfillment. That's, you know, the one thing I see a lot of guys in our space miss, right? It's just got to be a constant. You just, you know, you have this, you have this printing press, right? It's printing. It, it's not making money unless it's printing paper. Lead generation, lead conversion, client fulfillment. It has to be happening, yeah. you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week yep. to make a real business happen, right? And then, uh, and then on top of it, uh, the other four are leadership. You know, where's the company going? What do we stand for? What are we about? Uh, Management. You know, yeah. Management is uh, is the people side of the business. Yep. Money is the money is the financial side of the business. And marketing and marketing doesn't mean lead generation. Right. Marketing mean is what's your brand? What's it stand for? What's its colors? Uh what's the story mm -hmm. for people to relate to, right? Yep. Absolutely. So I took all those seven centers of management attention. I first got the three down. I learned how to generate a lead, sell a lead, and do the work, right? And by the way, when I say do the work, it includes things like, here's an operations manual that says, the air conditioner has to look like this before you leave. Here's the seven different views. It has to look like, don't leave unless it looks just like this, right? Yep. Um, so I got all that stuff done, and then I started, I made the main directories in all my computers, Remember, we used to have networks before clouds, right? Mm -hmm. It was called the e-myth directory. 
And so I was constantly reminding myself that the system is a solution, right? And then there were seven directories, leadership, money, management, you know, the seven that we just talked about. And we put all our business systems and, and, and filed them that way. I don't know if I was going. Did I no, go no, that answers it. For okay. Sure. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, that's how we, that's how we approached it. So with, I think this is, there's no particular business that doesn't need to follow those exact same, those exact same, um, uh, seven centers of management style because attention <laughs> lead, lead gen, lead conversion and client fulfillment are our every day. Um, except we're now doing it for our customers, but you're doing it for yourself too. We are. And so the way that we've kind of went about this to, to help you kind of, because to help connect the dots here is we are the, we are the, one of the lead gen channel. But when we bring it in, we have to make sure the customers, our customers, the contractor knows to the name, date, time of the customer, what do we bring in? Was it an install? Was it a service lead? If it's plumbing, was it drain? Was it a sump pump deal? What was it? Who's the CSR that booked the call? So that way we can at least help hold the CSR accountable. Even though we're not doing call coaching, we can certainly identify opportunities for them to fix it. And then ultimately you'd be able to see, or, you know, the contractor would be able to see what did that equate to in revenue because I know what I paid for my mark, mark marketing each month, what's my return? So that way there was never a question on what's the actual return so that way the trust is there. But it was using the same, that's chapter 24 in, in your version of, of the book is the um, seven centers of management. I loved that chapter and I'll, I'll follow a lot of those same things. I hit on that because that was a key piece of this in the beginning for me was making sure that we tracked everything so we always know where we stood with each other and that way if another manufacturer tried to come in or somebody tried to come in and just sell and say whatever to make them change i could go back to facts and yeah it's helped with our retention rate yeah well it's just it's just the key essence of all business right is is being able to quantify performance absolutely and, and make uh you know make your course adjustments based on that it it always resonated me because i'm a, i started out as an air conditioning technician and and what do you do to diagnose an air conditioner you put on some gauges you put on some meters you check some temperatures and then you get an idea of what's happening and you make your decisions based on what the numbers tell you and so it resonated really easy with me now the difference is you grew up in an era where you have software and analytics and all the stuff. So what yep, I was true. doing, I pretty much had a, a, a big rock, a flat rock, and then a little rock, and I would just like... Etch it. Etch. <laughs> you and Moses. Etch numbers. <laughs> look at, look at 20-year-old Kyle over there. He's like, mind blown. Like, really? <laughs> or yeah. use my crayons. Itch One of the two is what I did. But, you know, and we've evolved. To, we're very, of course. Yeah. We're very technological. Yeah. I would say we're uh, highly technologically advanced to be. For, our, for our business. Yeah, like you said, you kind of have the best of the best of everything, so there's no excuses. So I want to finish with this last piece of it, um, and, I, and, I, and I intentionally wanted to finish with this because I have a feeling you're going to have, again, more thoughts on this. But um, if you can kind of go back to the phase where you're starting to, and I, and I believe there's multiple, when you hit a million, you, you think, holy crap, I made it to a million. And then it's like getting to three seems like, man, it's taking me forever to get to three. So 
when the purpose of this podcast is talk about how to recession proof your business and you've given a lot of valuable things that they can implement that aren't, that don't cost anything to do. So if you could say, Hey, you know, if I can break this thing down and to like the checklist, like you talked about with your processes, like, Hey, you walk in, you open the door, you do these things. If there's like say two or three things that you have to do because you know the market is going to correct at some point. It's got to correct. Maybe probably not as bad as, as it was before, but it's going to correct. What advice can you give to some of these guys that are, you know, are really watching cash flow that they should be focusing on to help them prep for this inevitable correction that's coming? Okay. Did I, did I, did I, does, that, does that make sense? Did I get that out right? Cause I, 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 I got you. Okay, great. So one of the experiences I had is I sold some company. I had five businesses that I sold in 2008. And the company that, that bought them wanted to keep me around, obviously. So they said, Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you seven of our broken branches. It's Aaron Plumbing, but seven are broken branches. And they do total $30 million in sales. They make about $3 bucks total. Um and we will give you a multiple of earnings as if you owned them based on the growth of the, of the net profit between the years 2008 and 2010. Two-year okay? deal. Well, it's eight, nine, and ten. So it's okay. three-year three deal. Right? Deal. Gotcha. It was January of 08, right? At the it. absolute okay. bottom of the market. Yeah, I mean, that, that was, was pretty bad. <laughs> That's a pretty rough time. So uh, when we started this company. <laughs> so, again, I'm just one of those odd guys that you give me a challenge. Oh. I, I see red. I can't stop until yep. I get it figured out, right? So uh, 2008, 9, 10. I mean, oh, I haven't seen a recession like that. Hope I never, ever again. <laughs> and so we said, okay, how are we going to monetize this thing? And you went into this with no, like, you didn't have to bring capital. You brought you. Me and then I and my team. And so I, I pulled my team together, hired some extra managers. I got them on the same team. I started implementing the processes that I've described today that's, that I've been proven this whole time. Made it a metrics-driven business. We implemented all the same softwares. We had all the same jargons. We had our accountability calls twice a week. You know, we had all our stuff going. We were buying databases. We were buying small companies. You know, all, the whole formula put together. But here's what I learned in recession. One, never run out of cash. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's going to, it's not a matter if, it's a matter when, right, that a recession is going to happen. So he with the cash wins, right? So make sure you're stuffing it a little away for a rainy day because the opportunities and the real wealth is made on the downturns, right? Sure. Absolutely. So make sure you got yep. the cash so that you can act, Right. So I was backed by, a, I don't know, a billion-dollar company. So we had the cash, right? And anything I could come up with, or we could act. I need 30 trucks. I got 30 trucks, you know. So then I learned that, you know, most of the guys, are they don't know how. They, they either ran out of cash or they just don't know how to operate with, you know, low lead volume. And so what we did is we took, I took an extra $1.1 million and invested in radio. And I turned that radio on and we started taking customers. We, you know, we became the brand dominance. We were swallowing up the smaller guys, the ones that were, that were going out of business and we were taking everybody else's business. And we took it from 30 million to 80 million. 
we closed 2010 and 80 million in sales from 3 million on the bottom to 14.3 million on the bottom in the years 2008, 9, 10. Wow. So it's get your, get your war chest ready. You know, don't run out of dry powder, right? Uh, be ready to strike while the iron's hot. Turn on that marketing and be the bark like a big dog and take, you know, take more market share. Can I piggyback off of that real quick? So even though we started the company in the rece- that recession period, we actually flourished right out of the gate because those who took those marketing chances and went online, we were able to capitalize on that because of others. It's almost like the shoulder seasons now if somebody pulls back or in summertime if somebody says, I'm already busy in summer. I'm going to pull back. I love that as, because I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go the opposite direction and take share because you're pulling back. In, a reset, in, in 2008, 2009, we did exceptionally well because those who spent money were reaping the benefits of the volume coming through because they were spending money. What you just said is you're actually capturing it on both ends. So those who didn't stockpile away that cash to be able to sustain – we're going out. So you were capturing those opportunities, but also heavily marketing too and taking that share away from them. So you're kind of hitting it on both sides. Yeah. I hear that right? Yeah, 100%. And one last thing. Can't stress enough the importance of uh, maintenance plans or club memberships or whatever you want to call them. If you look at, the, if you look at your revenue, I've never seen a good, a well-run HVAC or plumbing service business that doesn't produce more than 70% of the revenue off of first-time customers. So with that argument, you may say, why well, have service agreements, okay? Well, the service agreements are, it, 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 uh, it, it bolsters up your shoulder seasons, right? Yep. So you have stuff to do. And then it gives you at least opportunities to be creative, figure out new products and services to generate revenue in the off-season, right? But especially when you're going into that recession, you need to know how to monetize those service agreements and, and keep those people close to you because it's it's just your base, right? Yeah. It's your foundation. So we got very good at taking care of our service agreement customers and making that a high priority to convert people or service agreement plans. I mean, right, we're... we're we really put a big focus on this, uh, on this, and actually did what we say we're going to do on the maintenance plans because so many guys, they get them but they can't service them. Yeah. We just we put the resources and the money out to do it, and um, you know so now you know we're growing our service agreement base at at about a thousand a month. Wow. So isn't it fair to say too that um, especially because we have such a um, recruiting epidemic, you know, of, of just the trades, there's about a thousand people or I forget there's what the number is, but obviously there's far less people going into trade schools than those that are retiring. So we have that gap of like, it's hard to find technicians and, and, you know, sit and installers and things like that. I think what's also nice about having the service agreements is it keeps those guys busy too. So we're not having that extra turnover because they're still doing things. Busy in a training opportunity. But let me tell you this, here's, here's something that, that I think that everybody should know. I, I started looking for my first employee in 1986. 1986. I was four. I hate to, to date myself, but, <laughs> um, but that is, that's the case, 1986. And guess what? 
it was hard to find people in 1986, right? This is not a new phenomenon. Now, yes, we have more statistics. We understand that people aren't getting in the trades. We know what's coming. But, you know, you just have to act. So, I mean, you know, we run 25% of our trucks with apprentices in them. So we can convert them into technicians. We have set a goal this year to hire 50 veterans and putting and, and using their GI bills, uh, putting through uh, HVAC school, uh, the Perfect Tech, Tech Academy in Fort Worth, Texas, and bringing them into our teams. <laughs> you know, we we have co- constantly out. We have recruiters in every branch that are internally recruiting through uh, you know the, the various uh, lead aggregators and such, but they're also getting out to trade shows. Uh, um, trade schools, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just, you just put your effort on it and you make sure that you're priced, your business is priced properly so that your margins will cover it. Sure. And you've done as far as, and it's similar things that we do here is you, you created a video to use for recruiting to let those know who might potentially want to come work for you, what you're all about if they don't know who you are. So that's one of those ways you connect because you kind of have that personal connection that's coming from you. Yeah, that's interesting, that video. I like, you know, all right, we, you know, we tried it out. I mean, we, 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 we put out videos a couple times a month now, but that one thing has seems to be one of the most interesting impacts that of all the innovations we've done. Can't tell you how many people that are, you know, employed by us now that they might see me and they'll, they'll just say, you know why I came here? It's because that video. And I'm talking hundreds. Wow. That's so, great. If that's not a testament to uh, using recruitment videos, you know, and, and all it took you was the time to record the video, a little bit of effort, and then putting, putting it out there. Right. Yeah. And I it mean, goes back to what you said earlier about you have to tell the story. You can't miss the opportunity to tell, especially if it's an authentic, true story that, that has impact. Yeah, so, so many guys in our industry – um, have held the flashlight for her dad, but her yeah. dad, but I took it. That's mine now. Can't use it. Yep. We've, we've <laughs> Sorry. Gone, we've trademarked it. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's so many yeah. stories that you can add it. It's just a story for people to understand, to like, and trust you. Right. As a matter of fact, our whole branding campaign of which we spend 10 plus million dollars a year on is really just about, we want people to know us and like us. Wow. So I just Simple. put this on my wall, and it's something I've preached and I've said lots and lots and lots of times, and I think it's a good way to kind of close this, this thing out, is it says don't be an asshole, be authentic. Because you don't need to be who you're not to be successful. You don't need to be Ken Goodrich to be successful. You take these things and you apply them. Some might work for you. Some might not work for you. But if you've already done these things, when you've paved the way and you've learned what works and what doesn't work, it seems to me that you would try and mirror some of those things and go down because you've already done it. So it's like, why reinvent the wheel on things that are, that you just said are working. And I'm going to finish with this piece. I talk about the 95, five rule and this 95, five rule is something in the decade. Ken, I've done hundreds of breakouts and I share facts, stats on what, what we've done for people. People who can share testimonial videos I'll walk into a room, 500 people, give a solid keynote, go over facts, and 95% of that room will do nothing with what I just told them. 
95%, and that might even be generous, but the 5% that do act on those things are typically the ones who turn into the Ken Goodriches and the Gettles. Is that fair? Because you have to do something. If somebody's giving you facts, like you just give, like you've given me, all it takes is a little action behind the ambition to get it done. You've paved the way, you've given the tasks, you've made the processes and the checklists. Now you got to do something with it. And I, I would say, you know, there's the secret. We act when no, most people don't. I, you know, we're not particularly more smarter than anybody else. Uh, it's just that we do it. You know, one of my key guys said to me recently, he said, he goes, you know, I've had, he's worked for some big companies, some, um, some nice companies over the years, but he said, you know what the difference in us and those guys are? He said, what? He said, they all talk about it, and we actually do it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Awesome job. Awesome job. Ken, hey, I cannot, I cannot thank you enough for coming in here. Like I said, you know, time, I believe, is our greatest asset, and, and you're a busy man. So I really appreciate you making time to come, not, not only to do the podcast, but to come into, into the office to do it. So thank you so much. Um, you're a pillar in the industry. I think that uh, I mean, we, we, are, we are grateful. We've, we've read some of these things, and there's actually things that we can apply to this business because – we kind of align I mean, with the home services trade. So thank you so much for coming in here. I hope you felt like it was worth it to come in here and share this information. I would, I, I'm eager to hear the follow-up to this because this is going to be a nice little two-parter. Um, but that right there, if you think about it this way, was millions of dollars worth of ideas. I'm, think, I'm talking long-term. Millions of dollars worth of changes that you can do, and some of those things won't cost you a dime. That's right. So thank you again so much for coming in here. And until next time, thank you, listeners, and welcome to The Point. Take care. Ken, see you. Paul, see you later, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to To The Point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the App Store. And don't forget to share with your friends. Till next time, kick some ass.